From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is the Big Story Podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shape the real world. With Republican Jeff Flake's stunning announcement that he would not be seeking re-election to the Senate from Arizona, the talk is turning already to who will be his successor. And the list of potential candidates so far is dominated by women. The way women will be reshaping the 2018 electoral landscape is the topic of today's podcast. I'm David Hawking, senior editor at CQ Roll Call, and with me in the studio are Simone Pathé, a political reporter for Roll Call who's been writing extensively about women candidates, and Kate Ackley, who covers money in politics and has written extensively about how women are reshaping the donor class. Thank you both for being with us. And we'll start with you, Simone. Uh, you had a story in Roll Call uh, about sort of news that was hiding in plain sight, which was uh, that an enormous number of women in the Republican majority aren't going to be back next year. What's that about and what happens next? That's right. So there are five women in the GOP conference in the House who have already announced that they are not running for re-election. Five doesn't sound like a whole lot, but when you only have 22 Republican women in the House, that's nearly a quarter of all of their representation. And it should be mentioned that this is retirements. These are people who are leaving to go do other things. Some Mm. of them are running for higher office, but that's not even considering midterms. So there's still a handful of Republican women who are in competitive seats and could also lose. So it could be even more than five who don't come back. So this presents a problem for the Republican Party that has always struggled to recruit female candidates, um, especially compared to Democrats who have always been helped by groups like Emily's List, which has been around for nearly 30 years now and is one of the biggest spenders on the Democratic side. And it's particularly posing a problem because Republicans have struggled to get their female recruits once they have them through primaries. So there's a lot of excitement for about a dozen House candidates who are women on the Republican side that I identified this week. We'll wait to see, will they be able to get through those primaries? And on, and on the Democratic side at the same time, it, it seems to me that there is a wave of women running on the Democratic side to challenge Republican incumbents. Seems like many of them are veterans. Um, Democrats have always done a better job than Republicans at recruiting women candidates. Is that a fair statement? Um, I wouldn't say always. Emily's list has helped a lot. As recently as the second Reagan administration, there was actually more Republican women in Congress than there were Democratic women. Emily's list came on the scene around 1984, and that really shook up the, the party structure when it came to recruiting women. But yes, you're right. There have been numerous examples of women running against Republicans this year. Emily's list has been tracking the number of women that have approached them about running. It's approaching, I think, 19,000 women Hmm. who've approached them about running for all levels of political office. That doesn't mean they're going to run, of course, and it doesn't mean they're going to run this year and not for Congress necessarily. But compared to the 2016 cycle, they had only 920 women approach them over those full two years. Now, I think in the recesses of my brain, I remember that EMILY uh, is an acronym that stands for Early Money is Like Yeast. Do yes. I have that right? Uh, which, of course, has me turning towards Kate, also Kate Ackley, who is the money and politics reporter with us in the newsroom. What's the state of women and fundraising in Washington these days, Kate? Well, in Washington and well beyond, we're seeing just a surge of women political donors, new donors to political campaigns at the federal level. Um, We uh, use some data from the Nonpartisan Center for Responsive Politics, which tracks 
political money. Uh, they use the uh, Federal Election Commission reports, and they uh, identify the gender of donors. And they have found that the surge of women donors is about 300 percent so far this election cycle. Women are donating 300 percent more than they were at this same time in the election cycle two years ago. And that does not include presidential candidates. So it's not like Hillary Clinton was getting, she got a lot of her money, but this doesn't even look at that. The, this almost 300% number uh, is looking at just uh, uh, congressional candidates, PACs and, and campaigns, uh, committees that are um, non-presidential. And do we have to assume that most of this money is going uh, to Democratic candidates? Or, or and we know that generally women vote more Democratic than not. Do, do we know empirically who, where this money is going and what's motivating the do- donations? Yes. Most of this money, and maybe not surprisingly, is going to Democratic candidates and liberal PACs. Uh, some of it goes to corporate PACs and can't really be considered partisan. Uh, but there has been a huge uptick in liberal donors, especially those who give smaller amounts, uh, say $100 uh, and then another $100 that adds up to $200, which triggers the reporting requirement. So if, if a woman donor is giving just $25, we won't be able to, to track that uh, because the, the campaigns don't need to file that with the FEC. But there are more, there are about 900% more women who are doing the small donations that are adding up to at least $200. And they are, by and large, that 900%, by and large, is mostly uh, money going to Democratic and liberal coffers. Do we know what the issues are? Is it mostly anti-Donald Trump? Is it mostly fear about uh, abortion rights and the courts? What's, what's the, what are the issues that are motivating people? Yeah, I think that all of those issues are, are playing a role um, in talking to members of Congress, political operatives, campaign donors, the people that I talk to. That's what they said. I mean, that women are motivated, uh, especially on the liberal side. They're they're motivated against Donald Trump and his agenda. They did not like the comments that surfaced right on the uh, cusp of last year's election where Trump was caught on tape. But they also don't like his policy agenda. They're not. They didn't like the Republican Congress trying to repeal and replace Obamacare. The defunding Planned Parenthood, obviously, is something that a lot of Democratic women voters uh, are very much opposed to. So those are some of the uh, the policy issues that are motivating the folks, uh, the women on that side. So for just one example about the state of women candidacies for Congress, let's talk about what's going on in the Arizona Senate race now that Jeff Flake has announced he's not running. So Flake already had a primary challenge from a female Republican. Her name is Kelly Ward. She primaried John McCain last cycle and lost pretty badly. Um, The fact that Flake is not running for re-election probably makes her chances a little bit harder because it means a lot more Republicans are going to be running in this now open primary. Establishment, so-called establishment Republicans here in Washington are probably going to try to find a slightly more conservative candidate to ward off someone like Ward in a primary. On the Democratic side, you have Kirsten Sinema, the Democrat who is presumed to be the Democratic nominee in this seat. It's a toss-up Senate race, so that means you have um, another chance of a Democratic woman coming to the Senate. should be noted that um, Republican member Martha McSally could also potentially run for the Senate. So we're looking at a situation, hypothetically, where you could have a woman versus a woman. We're talking about uh, the current state of women in politics. I'm wondering 
whether the departure of perhaps a quarter, at least a quarter of the, or about a quarter of the House Republican women, voluntary departure, either to seek other office or to just retire, and the vulnerability of a handful of others. Is there a direct connection to Donald Trump in this? Or uh, in some cases, I guess some of the, like I'm thinking of Marsha Blackburn, who's actually running for the Senate, giving up her House seat to run for the Senate in Tennessee as sort of a Steve Bannon acolyte. So it's not as though all these Republican women are getting out of public office because of a, a distance from Trump or worries about Trump, correct? That's a great question. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's way too difficult and nuanced an issue to point this one way or the other on Trump. Um, I th- you're absolutely right. There's a lot of candidates who are running as Trump candidates who are running for higher office. That includes Marsha Blackburn running for Senate. Christy Nome is running for governor in South Dakota. Um, these are very conservative women. In terms of recruits and candidates, it really depends on what kind of district they're running in. Overall, what I've heard is that Trump is not really having effect either way, that the number of female candidates in these House districts, Republican candidates, is about the same at this point in the cycle as it typically is. Um, now, I have heard some folks say that women are not very enthused about their party right now because of Donald Trump, so maybe they're feeling less inspired to run. On the flip side of that, I've also heard that Trump proved that you could win a major political office without having had previous political experience, which for women could be an indicator that, yes, they can do it, too, if they've lacked that sort of electoral experience in the past. So it depends how you slice it. Remind me, if you would, um, Donald Trump won a majority of uh, Republican women? He did. He, o- overwhelmingly, yes. And he w- and how did he do with... Am I correct that Hillary Clinton did not win white women? That's what it was? She, did, she failed to win the white women. She w- won the votes of women of color, right? African-American and, and Latino women, but not white women. How, what's the forecast on how sort of the gender gap in voting is going to shape up next year? Is it too early to say? I think at this point, it's probably too early to say. What is interesting, it looks like women are more engaged, whether that's running for office or, as Kate has noted, raising money for folks running for office. So I don't know which way they're going to vote, but perhaps turnout and participation will be higher. Right. And as far as on the Republican side, uh, obviously, Republican women voted overwhelmingly for President Trump. So they're not motivated like their uh, liberal and Democratic counterparts are with some you know, anger at the president or opposition to the president. But even Republican women, uh, members of Congress and, and candidates are really working hard to try to cultivate women donors. I talked with uh, Representative Mimi Walters in her office. She's a Republican from California. She represents a district that's um, sort of Orange County, and, and uh, you know, she's doing a lot to try to talk to women CEOs who might be with them on issues like uh, tax overhaul and whatnot, trying to get Republican women uh, to also do more in terms of donating and, and funding women candidates on the Republican side. By the way, we should just note for those who don't think about this every day what I think all three of us know around this table, which is... Um, the, the the percentage of women in Congress has remained relatively constant for the last several years at a, right around 20 percent. I think it's 18 percent or 18 or 19 percent in the House right now. Uh, there are actually 21 women senators, so that's a tiny bit better than one-fifth. I've also read, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, um, our, our colleague at, at Time Magazine actually wrote a, a whole book about how 21 percent, it's certainly not parity, but it is it suggests that they're, that women are enough of a presence that they can kind of have a toehold in the leadership structure. Simone, think, think with me, if you will, about 
how that's sort of true, that there are some women who are, who've attained some leadership positions sort of disproportionate to their overall number. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you're seeing that particularly this year in terms of recruitment. Um, You have Elise Stefanik, who is just a sophomore member from New York. She is now the first female recruitment chair for the House uh, Republicans campaign arm, the National Republican Congressional Committee. That's a pretty powerful role. It's her job to find people all across the country to run for these seats. And she's also playing the more informal role that a lot of Democratic women have played on their side, sort of... um, personally trying to coach new recruits through the the uh, process of running for office, taking hmm. her own time to talk to them about what it's like to run, what it's like to balance your family and perhaps a job you have back in your district, um, what the expectations are, how much time it takes, what it's like to raise money and all of that. The old, the old saw for a while, um, this is back kind of when I was a reporter thinking about this more directly than I do now, was that Women tended to wait longer to launch their political careers than men, in part because of old sort of old norm, norms about, you know, if a woman wanted to launch her political career, she often did so when she was close to being an empty nester. Nancy Pelosi, for example, waited until after all of her kids, I believe, were in college before she ran for office for the first time. Uh, is that still the case? Are women becoming... Do we see evidence of women becoming politically active either as candidates or as sort of political rainmakers at a younger age or earlier in their careers? Well, I, I think even though Nancy Pelosi is obviously, you know, was the first woman speaker and obviously has risen a high level of leadership, women have not run for office in the same numbers that men have, nor have they donated to political candidates in the same numbers that men have. Those are the two, you know, women are just as politically active and they vote just as much as men and and they get involved in canvassing and whatnot. The two areas where this big gender gulf exists is the running for office and the donating money. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what you're seeing. More women are going to be stepping up no matter where they are in their life, whether they're young or, or, you know, approaching middle age or older, that you see women of different ages um, looking to get involved in, in both sides of this where there has been a, a huge gender gap. I think that'll have to do it for us this week on the Big Story podcast. Uh, that was terrific. Uh, we could have, there's, there's a thousand different angles to pursue on this. Kate Ackley, who covers money and lobbying for CQ, Simone Pathé, who's a political correspondent for CQ and Roll Call, have been joining us. Thank you both. I'm David Hawking, senior editor at CQ Roll Call. This has been the Big Story Podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, or on NPR One. And you can read what Kate and Simone have been writing on this topic at rollcall.com.